Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. Uh, today, we have another uh, really exciting show lined up for you. In a way, this dovetails into our show from last week, which was um, around the world of Teiko, which is the Japanese drumming art form, um, and the women of the world who have become proficient at it and the top artists coming together and um, performing all on one stage in one concert in snowy Minnesota literally minutes before the pandemic closed down the United States and performing venues. And that was um, chronicled in a film, that a must-see documentary called Finding Her Beat. Um, We talked uh, last week to the star and producer of that film, This week, um, we are actually talking to the director of that film, but we are talking to her, and her name is Dawn Mickelson. Um, Dawn is also directed a film that uh, is called Minnesota Mean. It is a film about women's roller derby. And uh, so through both of the shows from last week and this week, I think we're going to give it a very good vision of the world through the eyes of Don Mickelson. And it is a vision of the world that you need to take a look at and you need to listen to and you need to allow to roll over you, pardon the, the, uh, the uh, expression with uh, the roller derbies, um, but, uh, and to take to heart. Um, it is a unique and powerful vision that um, is absolutely pertinent and important, uh, especially given what is going on in today's world. Um, The film, Minnesota Means, follows uh, the tumultuous year in the lives of six core members of the Minnesota Roller Girls. And uh, that is, if you're not familiar with roller derby, it is one of the most competitive roller derby teams in the world, and um, they, the film covers them as they strive to win the Hydra, which is the top prize um, that they could possibly win. During the film, several of the women that are featured have their own personal struggles, and it is a personal look into to them, their, their core character, what the empowerment that happens through their roller derby participation and the choices they have to make as part of the team and part of the community. Um, Dawn herself um, is an award-winning producer, director, um, and editor. Um, She's won Emmys. Uh, She's done really finger-on-the-pulse documentaries. Um, A through line, which we saw in last week's film, and I think we're going to see it in the discussion around the film we're talking about this week, 
is a theme of power and strength of community and how that community makes its own family. Um, so excited to talk to Don about that. Um, Don is currently waiting in the wings. Before we bring Don on, though, I do want to go to the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine and co-host of the show, uh, Brody Levesque, with um, the news that is happening today, much of which, unfortunately, is, again, the persecution of the American transgender community. Uh, Brody, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon, Rob, and good afternoon to all of our listeners. Uh, Earlier today in Tennessee, the American Civil Liberties Union and Lambda Legal filed a suit in U.S. District Court on behalf of a set of parents and their trans child. Um, The suit is aimed at a law that was passed that essentially bans uh, medical care and gender-affirming care uh, for trans youth. Uh, additionally, uh, with the provisions of the bill, it would forcibly detransition uh, our trans youth in that state of Tennessee by March 31st of 2024. In the state of Florida right now, we have a measure that's being considered by the Florida House. It's already passed through uh, the state Senate, uh, it's in what they call a uh, compromise position right now where they're going to work out the differences between the two bills. Once that's done, it will go to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for his signature. That bill also essentially will ban transgender affirming care in the state of Florida, but with one provision of the bill, it actually takes it a step further it would detransition uh, folks that are also legally adults. One provision of the bill would essentially ban uh, private insurance companies and private medical groups uh, from uh, providing insurance or any kind of uh, funding for transgender people for self uh, for self care in the state of Florida. So that bill is currently working its way through. However, the trans youth. Uh, Bill is currently, like I said, in committee. They're hashing out the details uh, on it now. Uh, As a result of these bills, there's also been a bill similarly passed in Alabama, which is currently tied up uh, in a court case, uh, Arkansas, another one. Oklahoma passed a similar measure. It, too, has been challenged. Texas is considering one. Uh, So essentially what we have now is a pylon. As a direct result of these pylons, some states and cities have taken it uh, to create sanctuaries for the transgender Americans. Uh, Colorado Governor Jared Polis signed an executive order making Colorado a sanctuary state. Not not even two weeks before that, uh, the state legislature in New Mexico, one state south, uh, also passed uh, measures that the governor signed uh, to essentially create a sanctuary state in New Mexico. As you know, last fall, Governor Newsom here in California uh, signed a similar measure that had been uh, authored by State Senator Scott Weiner, making California a sanctuary state. Um, Colorado's action, according to the governor, was in fact 
uh, also pushed along uh, because next door in Utah, Governor Spencer Cox signed a measure in January that effectively would end gender-affirming care for minors in the state of Utah. In Montana, there currently is a floor fight going on over a bill that looks like it will pass and go to the governor there, which also would ban gender-affirming care and, in some cases, forcibly detransition these youth. Um, There was a heated floor debate between Montana State Representative uh, Zoe um, and and, uh, her counterpart uh, over this uh, that got really kind of ugly. Um, Zoe, more or less, uh, was, you know, holding the line of, you know, you're trying to legislate this out of existence. It got so bad that, you know, the Montana Republicans are now saying that, you know, they need to censor her for her remarks. Uh, which is unconscionable, but that's what they're looking at. Uh, I'm sorry, Zoe Zephyr. I, I always mess that up because there's two Z's in that. Representative Zephyr, her speech uh, was working out against Senate Bill 99, um, and she was emphasizing that this bill would, you know, force youth to not only medically detransition, but the suffering it would inflict. Um, the thing that got the Montana House Republicans upset was the last line of her speech. Um, after the majority leader, leader a Republican, asserted that, you know, lawmakers would not be shamed into action, uh, Zoe fired back with, quote, then I hope the next time there's an invocation and you bow your head in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. Uh, and that was enough to set Montana's Freedom Caucus off. And they're the ones that are asking that Zoe be censored. Uh, so overall, Rob, and, and you know, and again, looking at everything, I I literally got off the phone not even a half hour before we went on the air with former state representative Carlos Guerrero Smith of Florida. Carlos uh, was reflecting on the fact that a major uh, pride event uh, on Florida's uh, East Coast, known as the Treasure Coast, uh, they have scaled back the Pride Fest to the festival, and they're going to card uh, people coming in to make sure they're 21 or older, and then they outright cancel the Pride Parade. So this is kind of the state of where we're at right now currently. Um, and, you know, there's no other way of putting it, but it's pretty bad. I think that the icing on the cake was this morning the United States House of Representatives passed House uh, Bill 734 that would be a federal ban on transgender girls and women participating in women's sports. This is a federal bill. Now, obviously, it's not going to probably make it out of the U.S. Senate, and even if it did, the White House has indicated the president would definitely veto it. But it gives you an idea of just exactly not only how craven these people have become, but the fact is that this is all the focus. And, you know, hell, they've even got their presidential candidates. One of them happens to be undeclared, Ron DeSantis of Florida, but the other one, the former President Trump, who was responsible for the uh, insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building and was also twice impeached and is under criminal investigations, he made a statement on the campaign trail because he's announced as a candidate for the Republican nomination that he would have no problem putting the transgender Americans 
in camps, you know, kind of a not so veiled threat. Um, and so that's kind of the mentality and the mindset right now uh, of the Republican Party, or I should say, at least the lawmakers, policymakers, and the leadership of the Republican Party. I'm not going to broad stroke Republicans across the board, but, you know, it's no longer a situation where they're a rowdy minority. The problem is these laws are getting passed. We're going to have court cases out the yin-yang. But I'd like to remind our listeners and anybody that can hear the sound of my voice right now, these bills are not abstract academic legal arguments. These bills will cause LGBTQ youth to commit suicide and self-harm. I can't stress that enough. There is collateral damage, and the collateral damage is our children and our kids that are going to kill themselves because adults have decided for whatever reason in their twisted little minds, okay, that people do not have the individual rights to be themselves, to love whoever they want, just like they have decided in their twisted little little minds the women have no choice over their own bodies when it comes down to reproductive health care. So when you go to the ballot box in 2024, I would urge you to think very carefully before you pull any lever with anybody that's got an R after their name, because there's a good chance you're going to be voting for someone who's going to go lockstep, okay, with these fascist, white Christian supremacist Nazis that are in these state houses. And I'm using that term intentionally, Rob, because there are precious few members of those bodies that are colored, Latino, or Asian that is voting for this garbage. So there's the move. Well, yeah, I I don't want to get into a profiling thing because I've certainly run into plenty people who are not white who um, are also echoing these views um, that are out there. But I would say this, the part of everything that you just said is obviously they, um, there is a plan that is following a definite fascist roadmap on all of this stuff politically. And um, it is definitely intentional. It is definitely meant to rile up, quote, unquote, the base um, and, um, you know, divert attention from the, the real issues two of which they are way on the losing side of, which is women's health care and gun control, um, because they're, they do not have solutions. They are the problem in both of those cases, and so they are trying to create a subterfuge um, to get their people's attention off of that. But the, on the other side of it, the other thing that really irritates me about what you just um, described out of all of that cancellation of that pride festival. I think it is time for our equality organizations across the country to remember something that people have pointed out of the past few years during pride month is pride started as a protest, not just a celebration. And if they come after us, we need to turn it back into that, a protest. Canceling it is unconscionable. Canceling it is cowardly. Canceling it is not acceptable. That is the time you need people to show up and suit up. Um, anyway, <laughs> and that's my two cents. So I'm going to switch gears um, onto the world of 
documentary filmmaking and observing um, a lot of the things that we're talking about and empowerment and um, kind of looking at the world in a more positive, um, progressive way. And uh, with that, I'd like to welcome to the show um, our guest, uh, Don Mickelson. Don, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thrilled thrilled to talk to you. Um, I have to tell you, we talked about you last week, um, so your ears wow. may have been burning. <laughs> <laughs> so, I hope it was good. So, I'm usually uh, a positive person, so... <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, it was it was completely it, it was completely in 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 unadulterated admiration. So, yeah, oh, it was God. it was all good. Um <laughs> no, I was uh completely enthralled with uh, the um finding her beat story film and um we primarily talked about you in terms of not only what you created in terms of that film, but also the fact that um, Jen had come to you really just wanting you to kind of film the proceedings so that, that it was documented, and you said there's a story here, and we need to make this an actual film, which is what you created, um, which, to your to your credit. Um, leads me to my first question. How do you approach the different subjects that you end up creating a film around? What what are the, the things that drive you to this is a story I have to tell? You know, I have to say, as much as I wish it was something grand and altruistic, I think it often is what is compelling to me, what I'm struggling with in my life at the moment. Um, you know, and I think that's probably true for a lot of filmmakers. It's like, what is that thing that you think about and keeps you up late at night and you're just like, oh, <laughs> I need to I need to do something about this or inspires you and all you think about is how you want to be a part of that world more and I will say with um, both Minnesota Mean and Finding Her Beat uh, the latter was the case it was you know I don't play roller derby I don't play taiko drums but I love the people who do and all I want to do is be part of their world and soak in their power <laughs> that sounds very much like I'm a I'm a, uh, a vampire, but <laughs> only in the best way. Only in the best way. I, 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 you know, it's like I want to show the world this beautiful space and and how you know what is possible. I think for for particularly women and um, queer, queer folks. Um, yeah, you know that these little pockets of of joy and power exist, and you know we need to be celebrating them. Yeah, I totally relate to that, by the way, as a writer and, you know, and an interviewer and all that. It's, you know, I, I feel very vampir- vampiristic um, myself in terms <laughs> of, you know, being inspired and thrilled and, um, you know, just plugging in to both their vision and their energy. Um, the the Takeo story, which we told last week, um, was was hugely inspirational, bringing together these unique women around the world and seeing what they created, especially the way it played out <clears throat> unbeknownst to anybody of what was coming and, and uh, COVID, et cetera. Um, how did you come across 
the Minnesota Roller Derby team? Well, so the Minnesota Roller Derby team um, was the community that my friend Lisa found. My friend Lisa Math, uh, we've been friends for 20 years. She decided uh, quite spontaneously, in my opinion, but I think she's been thinking about it for a long time, to join the Minnesota Roller Derby. And she was 40 at the time. And I thought she was absolutely nuts. I was just like, you are going to get yourself hurt. Do not do such crazy things. Um, but then I watched the community that she entered, and I watched how they, you know, not only celebrated her, but, you know, frankly, she had a had an injury that was, you know, quite painful, and they cared for her. And, and you started realizing that this was a lot more than what you see, um, you know, on TV or what you see, you know, even at the bouts that there's, you know, sure, the the games, they're impressive and they're exciting, but the community behind it can be so powerful. And um, so, yeah, I, I turned to Lisa and, and said, hey, would you introduce me to the team? Uh, I'd like to pitch a, a series <laughs> about them. And she did. And I think that because um, she brought me in, oh, by the way, her derby name is Bernasty. So when Bernasty <laughs> brought me in, uh, the team was like, well, we can trust Bernasty's people. Uh, so they were on board as well, and we started filming in, what was that, April of 2017. And uh, realized after a few months that it wasn't going to be a series, that the pitches I was giving to the streaming services were not landing. Um, but the story was so rich and so compelling that I said to the team, you know what, this is a movie, let's finish the season. And, and see what happens. And that's how the film came to be. Yeah, there are so many things in the film that I absolutely loved. Um, one of which, for me, <clears throat> because um, years ago, I remember roller derby. And, I mean, I'm talking about remembering it back to the uh, time when Raquel Welch was in, you know, the roller derby film in theaters and um and seeing it on TV, you know, on Saturday afternoons, um, but not really understanding it. And I love the very beginning of the film where they talk about it and they kind of explain the rules. And it was like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's what this is about. I mean, and in a weird <laughs> sort of way, and I don't know if you, you would agree with this, but I saw it very much like football even though there's no ball and they're on skates. But it, it is that kind of aggressive power thing, fighting and then breaking free and running is like kind of the, the um, through line there. Um, what did you learn about the sport itself when you were making it? Well, it's funny you compare it to football because I think I have heard derby people explain it to non-derby people as football except the jammer's position, the person who wears the star on the helmet, are in fact the football or the quarterback, depending on how you're looking at it. Um, that they, <laughs> they embody the football. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's not that far off. Uh, I will say that, you know, it's, the, the sport is surprising to me in its, um, uh, you know, full contact power and something that I personally have never been drawn to. But I will say after making the film, I am much more interested in how strong my body can get and how powerful I can be physically. 
in a way that I'd never really been interested in prior. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's an interesting space for women who are, you know, culturally raised to, you know, that the best, best way to be as a, as a female is kind of, you know, dainty and, and slight and willowy, thin. Um, you exercise in order to be small. <laughs> and it's so right. the opposite, you know. There, there's no goal in being small here. Um, you know, and in fact, one of my favorite lines from the film is a, you know, player, her name is Polly Punchkin. And before one of the big games, they're talking around the, you know, the, the team. And, and she says, um, I'm going to play as though I have all this body. And she points at her, you know, she gestures to her body to defend my, my teammates. And I thought that, yes. You know, like, I want the world to be more right. like that, you know, this this embodiment of who we are and and how we move through the world. You know, it's uh, it, it's very feminist, for sure. I also think it's a very queer space, um, not only in the fact that a lot of queer folks play derby, but also um, there's a different relationship to gender and how you express your own gender particularly within that community. I, I kind of wanted to ask you about that in terms of, um, I mean, you, you just brought up a, a whole bunch of sort of, they're really subtext issues because it's not like they sit around and discuss these specifically now. in the film. But um, it's, um, you know, it goes back to what Brody was talking about, about a lot of these laws where these laws are very, um, two-dimensional and two-dimensional in um, a really archaic way, um, you know, in terms of not just what transgender people are capable of and structured for, et cetera, but even sort of a backhanded disparity of what women are capable of and, and, and um, able to do. Um, And in this film, um, one of the the main people, you know, spoiler alert, is injured <laughs> and um, uh, can't can't continue to to play. And there is a person that is brought in from another team that transfers in. And I don't even know if it's ever specifically spelled out in the film. I would just detect this, and I may even be wrong about it. But my my feeling is that this person was transgender, and it's never highlighted. Correct. They're never they. You know, they, they never stand out as being really anybody different than the rest of the team. Um, and it kind of speaks to that, both limiting women as to what women in sports can and, and have the capacity of being, as well as that transgender women being involved are not a threat. Um, can you give some commentary right. to that? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the player you're talking about is Switch Please, and uh, she came in mid-season, um, and really her story arc is is about somebody who came from a much uh, lower-ranked team who is thrown into the mix last minute and is expected to, you know, play with the big girls, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Right. And, and uh, she she's terrified, you know, she's not played at this level of competition, and and um, you know, I won't give away how it how it plays out for her because somebody's got to watch this film. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, she she um, 
that's her struggle that, you know, right there. And so as a filmmaker, I, I took my cues from the team and there was, there was never a conversation about her identity other than which please is amazing. And we, you know, she's, she's a great player. She's rough. She, you know, still trying to figure herself out, but we believe she'll be a great player. And, you know, that, that is part of Derby culture that um, played throughout the, the season. There was, you know, never, at least in front of me, I'm sure there are conversations that I was not a part of, but um, as a whole, the community is used to playing with trans players and it's just like, well, there it is. You know, she is playing with us and she's great or she needs a little work. Um, but it has nothing to do with her, her gender identity. It has everything to do with her as a player. And so that's where the, the film um, took its cue. Uh, interestingly, you know, I, I did have conversations with folks when I was editing the film because there were a couple of people who gave me feedback that were like, you need to, you know, really ha- talk about her trans story. And I said, I don't, it, at that point, before all this stuff is happening right now in the news, right. I was, you know, I was like, um, we're beyond that. I hope we're beyond that at this point. You know, 20 years ago, my first film was called um, Treading Water, a documentary, and it was, um, folks living queer in rural Minnesota. And, you know, so there were a lot of coming out stories and that was the time for coming out stories in film. Actually, 25 years ago, but <laughs> give or take. Right. Um, <laughs> and and it, was, it was important to do that at that time. But, it, you know, I really felt with this film and at the time that we were editing it that people realize which is trans, great. If they don't, also fine. <laughs> you know? Right. No. And, you know, I, I think that's the way it should be. Um, it's kind of, in, I mean, I think that's part of the issue with what's going on right now is it, this is really retro. I mean, we really were yeah. beyond this. And what is being mm-hmm. attempted is it, on every level. It's not just trans. But, I mean, women's issues as well. It's it's almost unbelievable that, um that women are being put in this position that even, even in the best case scenario in the discussions right now is not, you know, should a woman have the right to make her own decisions over her own body, but um, well, she especially should have that right if she's raped or, um, you know, her life is threatened or whatever. It's like, that's the middle ground now. I mean, that's sort of bizarre just in itself of where, where the perspective has gone on that. Um, looking, given what you know today um, and looking back on, on the film, would you, would you change that? Would you put in the trans story more knowing that it is going to be a pertinent conversation today in 2023? I don't know if I would. And for the reason of I also want to honor the people who are in the film. And at this stage, I don't see Switch as wanting to lead in this area. Switch Mm -hmm. wants to play Derby. And I think as a filmmaker, you have a responsibility to um, the participants in your film. And, you know, if they want to be flying a, you know, a particular flag, uh, they should have the right to fly that flag. But they should also have the right to say, you know what, that's not my flag right now. Um, I've got other parts of my story that I want to tell. And so, um, you know, I think it would be a longer conversation with Switch for sure. But I also think that 
Um, you know, for example, we have a player named Smokahontas. Uh, she is a native skater and mm-hmm. took that name kind of in the way that we take the word queer, right? She's reclaiming a, a, a term that um, <laughs> that I would not. Yeah, use. definitely. <laughs> but, right, but right, and that, her, that her Donald Trump uh, is, abused. So yeah. Absolutely. But and and her fight is about native identity and being a part of two cultures at once, Derby and the native community and wanting to represent. And so for for her character, (laughs) she's a person, but for for her storyline, it makes sense to pull out the native aspect because that is something that she is fighting for and something that she is grappling with. for Switch in the time that the film was being made, that was not something that she was grappling with. She's like, I'm just living my life. Yeah. Which, yeah, that, and that makes sense. And it, it also, to the credit of your artistry as a documentarian, to be the observer and not the manipulator of, of the story that's going on <laughs> in front of you. Um, one of the things that always astounds me with when I talk to um, – the not all documentary makers, but the documentaries of fine films is how, and this happened with both of the films we're talking about with um, Minnesota Mean as well as uh, Finding Her Beat, is you captured a real storyline going on in front of you that I'm guessing you didn't totally anticipate when you started setting <laughs> up the cameras. Uh, is that true, or Absolutely. or did you do you know what was coming? <laughs> I had no idea what was coming. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I knew that over the course of a year, you follow a number of people, life happens. Um, I think in particular with Minnesota Mean, I, I well, actually in both films, I think that creative people, um, athletic people, people who are following a passion, uh, they live large. And... Um, because of that, I think that there will always be a storyline. So, you know, it's like I'm currently really wanting to still do that Derby series. And there's been a question of, like, who would you follow now? Because a lot of your players have, have retired. And I was like, you turn a camera on a bunch of roller derby folks, and you're going to have a story after a couple of months. They're, you know, because they're living their lives large. And I mean that in the best way. You know, it's not drama. It's they're they're living their truest selves and when you do that when you um show the world who you are every day uh the world isn't always <laughs> kind um and also things happen like you get pregnant or you break a break a thing or you know right so yeah. I, oh yeah i, I I mean, actually, it's funny because I've Jen and I had this conversation because she's like, I can't believe you thought that there'd be a story there with me and my friends, and and I was like, but Jen, you are all such talented, powerful women. Of course, there's a story there. I have no, I had no doubt that there things would happen over the course of that residency that would be illuminating, um, just because of who who we had at the table. Uh, yeah, definitely. And in in terms of that film, um, and I guess uh, so. I'll ask this question about both films, but um, because in a community group, um, and unfortunately, is really um, uh, <laughs> pushed to its limit in things like Real Housewives and uh, other shows like that. 
um, there tend to be some um, conflicts. Um, and in both films, your both communities seem to be relatively conflict-free. Um, were there conflicts behind the scenes that we didn't see? Sure. <laughs> you know, I think particularly <laughs> after Minnesota <laughs> Meet It. It's funny because I, uh, you know, we we premiered it uh, under a week ago and had the whole team except for uh, one player who um, was waiting to give birth, so she had a pass. Um, but the rest of the team was together and we were talking and they were like, Oh, we're so glad you missed this thing and this other thing. And, and I was learning all <laughs> sorts of things that happened during that season that I was like, Oh, uh, that would have been interesting to know. Um, <laughs> but, but I do think that, you know, there's, there's a tendency, maybe it's, uh, in reality TV that they don't trust that life is interesting enough. <laughs> and so they will push buttons. Their producers will push buttons with participants and, elevate dramas that would have otherwise been, you know, eh, minor yeah, to yeah. something much more significant. And and in doing that, you run the risk of losing, I think, what could be really amazing stories in and of themselves because they're so busy infighting. In fact, there there was a, a Derby uh, reality series oh, 10 years ago, I think, um, and I was researching it when I was first working on this film. And um, it did have a lot of that interpersonal catty drama. And it's like, yeah, stuff like that happens. But the majority of the time, they're just trying to move forward as a team. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever seen um, some, kind, is it some Kind of Monster, the Metallica documentary? No, it's, no, I haven't. So, oh, oh, my God. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, of Metallica, just for clarity, <laughs> but uh, the film was all about how how that band, after working together for so many years, had to go into group therapy to work out their issues, and I, I loved that. I loved that it was them trying to figure out how to get along. It's, I think, such a better story than people tearing each other down is how do we, how do we make this work? How do we make this a lasting thing okay. so that we can all rise together? Yeah, I was I I'm actually fascinated by that stuff and and I hear what you're saying about the reality TV uh things because for me, you know, I'm I come from a recovery background and it just kills me watching these things It's like they have to get everybody drunk so that so they can yeah. escalate the the stuff to that level where they're fighting about really stupid stuff, you know, that that in a, right. a sense if if they were Sober and rational, they sit down and go, this is really a non-issue. Let's just, you know, work it out this way. And then you would have no, you know, show. So, um, you know, right. but that's that. I, I, I far yeah. prefer what you're doing and what, what you're creating. Um, and I would love to actually see a documentary with – I would love to see that done on Fleetwood Mac and ABBA. It's like I'd love <laughs> to see what the behind right? the scenes of those groups were and, you know. Uh, everything that happened, even the Beatles. It's like any one of those, just because you know there are huge stories that we don't see in in those situations. You know, we only get to see the right. the outside thing. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you through these films. Um, uh, like I said at the top of the show, there's a theme that is kind of like the Nicholson theme of a movie <laughs> coming together and creating family. Um, how, how did that, 
how where did that come from personally for you? What what where what is driving that from you? It's funny because I've never really thought that that was my my theme until it's been brought up lately in interviews, and I'm like, oh yeah, that happens in every film. <laughs> Weird. Like <laughs> we see you. Very, I know it's very subconscious for me. I think um, until recently when I've been asked about it, and I've been like, oh, you are totally right. Um, so. Uh, what I can gather based on my own, you know, self-analysis at this point <laughs> is that I think that the idea of chosen community and family is is critical to me. I think that, you know, coming out in the late 90s and discovering the queer community, um, there was that, that piece of um, you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. We've got you that I value so deeply and I think that I look for it in in everything else and I because of that experience recognize that we're never alone you know we're not as much as you want to take on all the the big dramas of your life and try to shield your family and friends from your own drama which is something that I try to do uh, way too frequently as a um, midwesterner um, I think that at the end of the day, it's it really is our chosen family or our family or our friends that that get us through and make us who we are, and that in fact we we couldn't do it alone if we tried. And it sounds cliche, but I mean seriously, everything I've looked at in my life, <laughs> there there is an element of community being there at the right time, making life possible. And I, I think to pretend that we are solo independent people taking on the world um, is, is a great story to tell, but I don't think it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, actually, I think that's, that's really profound. And, you know, because even when I think about your film, the different people in it, um, when I had Jen on last week, uh, the thing I said to her directly, um, said it right to her face, um, was, you know, she is such a, her persona is such a sweet, you know, calm, um, uh, you know, just really feeling like, you know, warm and fuzzy personality. And yet she was this dynamo that created this, this um, performance and this concert and, you know, against all odds and kind of this real, almost like heroic character that, you know, if you met her and she's welcoming everybody to her house and she's like, I'm just so glad you're here and, you know, can I fix you some toast? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's just so so counterintuitive. But uh, it's like, uh, I think truths do come out in your work um, that, that people are presented that way. Um, one of the things I was fascinated with, again, in um, Minnesota Meme was the motivation that a lot of the women professed as to the power that they liked feeling in getting out there and pushing people around and being tough and, you know, that, that huge desire. Can, can you speak to that aspect of, and I'm going to call it femininity, is like that, that <laughs> I think is probably in a lot of women. Um, mm-hmm. what, what is your viewpoint of that? having observed it and, and, you know, uh, being a woman yourself. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I, again, it's like prior to making this film, I don't felt any compulsion to push anybody around physically. It was not really um, how I was wired. But I will say that, you know, as I walk through spaces, I've been going through a lot of airports lately, and, you know, being constantly aware of how I am minimizing the space I take up in order to not bother anybody and, you know, be kind, Mm -hmm. and how not everybody in that airport has that same agenda. And there have been times lately when I've had a little bit less sleep where I've felt like, you know what? Um, no, you move. You move. I'm <laughs> I'm done moving for you. And and I think that, you know, there's there may be a fair amount of that pent up in in those of us who've been culturally um you know, taught to be small. Um so I you know, I don't know what to do with that. Uh but I think it's definitely there and it is so freeing to just be like, This is how big I am and this is how much space I'm gonna take up. And if you're in my way, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think at some point we need to find a balance. But Derby is the place to express that particular emotion in a way that um, not only is accepted, but expected. And to be a good player, you, you damn well better take up some space. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, there's a lot there, I think. I, I, I would almost want to get like a panel involved in that conversation. <laughs> panel of experts yeah, no, it's, on, it's, on gen, gender expression and power. Yeah, it's I mean, it's part of the thing for me that, you know, as as the discussions go on about gender and, um, you know, from the very myopic that your gender comes from, you know, two different body parts on different people on that, <laughs> that's it. That's the only thing that gender has to do with two societal norms of, um, you know, is is the are these characteristics truly quote unquote gender, or are they just a conditioning uh, in one direction or right. the other? And you know, the way we dress, and you know, who's allowed to do what? And I mean, it's there's a certain point where I think we're going to have a breaking point of somebody looking around and kind of emperor's new clothes, going, um, this is actually kind of a ridiculous thing. Like, why can't men wear? <laughs> false eyelashes and and makeup why is that owned by any you know why is there a restriction on that what 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 the hell is that bothering anybody for um right that uh it's uh that empowerment and that eagerness in the film of minnesota mean and seeing these women embrace the that safe, aggressive side of themselves, because they're not looking out to go into toxic masculinity, but they are simply in a a venue where they get to express that, they get to plow through, they don't have to play nice, they, you know, they are allowed all of that, and not only allowed it, but they are heralded for it, Um, I, I think is such an important thing to observe. And and like you, I don't I don't really have an answer around it. And to your point, I think you know we could get a panel of experts to really unpack it <laughs> deeply. But um, it 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 does it is fascinating with the women that you were involved with and observing. Did you see that part of them play out off the rink? Did you see something where 
Like if you'd been in a different place with them, you would have gone, oh, that's because you're a roller uh, derby star <laughs> as opposed to this is just another girlfriend. Right. I mean, I think that it, it does impact the rest of your life, but it's it's in different shades or different um, – it's more on a spectrum, if that's the term I want to use here. I, it's interesting because I had this conversation with Diamond Ruff um, both when we were interviewing for the film and also – in the last few days um, about code switching and how derby community, and I think I've felt the same way in, in queer community, that my gender expression is different than it is in um, mixed company, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, where there's, right. there's a bunch of straight, straight guys. Um, and, and, but the more you exercise that muscle of, being who you are in derby community, being who you are in queer community, the more it inevitably slides into your other identities. Um, but there certainly is code switching. And, you you know, I've, I observed that with a, a number of the players to various degrees that within their um, home communities, um, it was only the people, you know, in some cases, again, not all of them, some just live who they are in every day and every way. But some do code switch. And um, I think we have to do that for safety to some extent. But I also yeah. think that yeah. um, it is it is something to be aware of in yourself and, you know, try to determine if you're doing it maybe overcorrecting, <laughs> overswitching. Um, because yeah, I, no, I, think I, I like myself better in, in women's and queer spaces, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think you're you're right on, and I did the same thing. It's like you know, in in those spaces, we're completely expressing ourselves exactly how we mean to and want to and feel the most comfortable. And in the other ones, I too, I I totally feel it. It's like I'm I'm editing and monitoring myself because in the things that I'm not expressing that I would have otherwise, I don't want to have to explain them or, yeah. you know, deal with a reaction that is, is other than somebody, you know, going, okay, it's no big deal that you're crossing your legs like that or, you know, you know, that. Right. Yeah. Well, so, it's interesting. Yeah, no, One of the, I, you know, the conversation with Diamond Ruff that she was talking about um, the term and I did not read Harry Potter. So uh, this was new to me, but apparently, you know, they talk about non-wizards as the muggles and that, you right. know, she would use that term for non-derby people. It's like, oh, we got to watch ourselves. There's muggles here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. yeah. For whatever yeah. that's worth. So, yeah. <laughs> and and just just so you know, if anybody asks, you are a muggle, and so am I. <laughs> it's like as non-wizards. Okay. Uh, that's, yeah, that's like but yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, Hermione Granger okay. was a muggle, so so um, yeah, it's. <laughs> we still have our potential. Um, oh, uh, good. Don, I want to ask, though, before I forget, <clears throat> um, where can people see um, Minnesota Mean? How, do, how can they uh, partake? <laughs> well, since it's premiered uh, on Saturday at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival, um, it is just starting its festival run. I'm actually in uh, Orlando. I just arrived in Florida um, earlier today, and it's screening at the Florida Film Festival. It will go on to the Sunscreen Film Festival down in Fort Lauderdale. 
um, which I have to say is interesting given our earlier conversation that there are two Florida festivals that immediately jumped on board with this film, and I find that fascinating in the best way. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely. So we'll see what happens there. But it's going to be touring the festivals for, I would say, six to nine months before we end up uh, broadcasting and streaming. Um, We are, you know, if you know anybody who wants to uh, give us an offer, uh, we are open to them. But it will be available at point, and we'll post online when it is. um, But, you know, certainly we'd love that broadcast or streaming deal that uh, we get it to the biggest number of people possible. I know that the Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association is, you know, dying for people to see it because they just want more people to play derby. And um, I think at the end of the day, so do I. (laughs) So, yeah. You know, I actually so do I because it is is great to see that venue for women to break out of expectations. And, um, you know, so, so I think that is really cool. Now, you are about to embark on another project called Ribbon Skirt Warriors, um, can you tell us anything about that and what, what, what is your next project? <laughs> well, there's so many next projects. So I've, I've got a number of things kind of under, under wraps at various levels of wrapping. <laughs> um, but also Red and Skirt Warriors is a film that's directed by my co-director on Finding Herbie because I've been dying to say this and I have yet, I for some reason keep missing it. And I apologize to Carrie Pickett right now. Uh, Finding Herbie was co-directed by Carrie Pickett. Uh, she's the director of photography and an amazing visual storyteller. And um, I, she is directing a film called Ribbon Skirt Warriors, uh, following the uh, Native women, Native leaders of the water protector movement as they protest against um, the construction of an oil pipeline in northern Minnesota in 2020 and 2021. She was embedded with Winona LaDuke and and other leaders up there um, as they fought against Line 3. Um, and, you know, it follows this this powerful group of women who are not taking any shit anymore. I mean, I feel like, yeah, there's a theme here, isn't there? <laughs> the, the stories I'm, I'm drawn to right now are, are women who are, are done with it and are ready to just live their lives and, and do what what they believe is is right. And so that's what these women are doing. Um, we hope the film will premiere in the fall. So that's, that's kind of what we're shooting for at that point. Um, I'm also talking to some people about uh, demolition derby, uh, women in de- demolition derby. We're on a der- derby theme at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I think that I think that space could be really fascinating in that code switching department, you know, like Oh totally. Yeah. When you are totally. the only well, women in the room I'm, and it's all a cart. Yeah. Well I'm I'm so glad I could explain you to you and show you <laughs> show you, you what, what you're putting out you, and projecting. Yeah. But no, it's really Thank you. Super, are you saving some therapy? <laughs> There you go. Hey, hey, that's my job. That's my job. <laughs> and that hasn't been the first time this has happened on that show, by the way. Um, yeah, it's, nice. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the, the underlying uh, theme here. Um, but, um, Don, we're down to our last few minutes here. What have I asked you um, that we should talk about? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, you know, I just, Actually, I was thinking about um, finding her beat, <laughs> interestingly enough, and when we were talking about that whole physical expression, and finding her beat is the same thing. You know, it's it's 
women who've been told for millennia that they can't be loud and they can't speak to the gods through banging a big, powerful drum. And they're like, you know what? I, I want to speak to the gods. I'm pretty sure the gods are down with this, you know? And, and they too take up a lot of big space, both physical and sonic space. Right. And um, I think the world is hungry for that kind of story. Um, you know, Finding Herbie, we actually shot and put together after Minnesota Mean. It's just the order in which they premiered is opposite of how they were made. And, you know, so by the time we were to post-production on Finding Herbie, I was sharing the story with with, um, colleagues, and we ended up getting a donated sound mix by Skywalker Sound um, by, you know, these powerful people in the industry who were also like, yeah, it's time we heard these women. It's time we heard the powerful sounds that women right. can make. And, and you know, so that film in particular felt like we were riding this wave of um, this is where things are headed and we're just so happy to be along for the ride. And so is, yeah, I guess I'm it, hopeful. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm well, hopeful it, that this is where things are heading and this backlash that we're experiencing as a community, God, I hope this is something that we look back in a couple of years and go, that was shitty. I'm so glad that w- that's over. You know? Right. Well, and, and the, the value, true value of your films is you get to show us the reality of what is and what is, is true. And these things are so superficial and, you know, they're going to fall. We'll, we will fight them. They will fall. And unfortunately we are out of time. I love, you know, and by the way, we did catch those on last week's show about everything you're talking about about uh, Find Her Beat um, and, and, and gave Carrie a, a shout-out as well. Um, oh, but, good. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so to our audience, see, find these both these films when, when they are available and where they are available, um, super, super important. Um, we've got a kickoff for this week. Thank you. Um, first of all, Don, thank you for being who you are, what you are putting out there, and for joining us today. Um, I want to thank Brody for his work on the L.A. Blade magazine. Make sure to check that out every day, LosAngeles.com, the latest news um, that you want to read in the best journalism, and they just won the GLAAD um, Excellence Award for journalism. Um, so check that out. And as for us, we will be back again next week with a super fascinating show. I have no idea what it is, but I guarantee you, that it will be well worth your time. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 